Broadway Hour. This is Stuart Klein, your host for the Broadway Hour. Stay tuned for what I think will be an invigorating hour all about the theater here on Easy 93 WPAT every Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Brought to you by Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers and Chemical Bank. Hello and welcome to the Broadway Hour. I'm Stuart Klein, your host for the next hour of Broadway news, Broadway interviews, Broadway songs, and Broadway gossip, and much ado about Off-Broadway, too. We're coming to you from the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers at 53rd Street, overlooking scenic 7th Avenue, where we have our live taping in the Lobby Court Lounge. You're invited to join us every Thursday afternoon for the taping between 4.30 and 6.00. We have a rather distinguished audience today, and we have some very distinguished guests. Brian Bedford, the Tony Award-winning star of Time and of Athens. Jazz legend Doc Cheatham, who will be performing live. And Levada June Roberts, starring Off-Broadway, who will be singing live. So stay tuned for the talk of Broadway, much Broadway music, and our trivia contest with a chance for you to win some excellent prizes. And now a word from our sponsors, Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers and Chemical Bank. We're back live on the Broadway Hour, and our first guest is one of Broadway's most talented, reliable, and versatile actors who's as much at home in the classics as he is in contemporary theater. He won the Best Actor Tony Award for his performance in Moliere's The School for Wives, and his Broadway roles have ranged from a young gang leader who kills for kicks to his current turn in the title role of Shakespeare's Time of Athens. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Bedford. <laughs> Brian, welcome to the Broadway Hour. Thank you, Stuart. It's good to be here. Brian, when you studied at London's Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, you had some uh, classmates who turned out rather well. Yep. Who were they? Peter O'Toole, Albert Finney, Alan Bates, and quite a few other people who have done very, very well in, in the British theater since then. Was the competition among you uh, keen back then? No, we were all very close friends, and uh, it didn't occur to any of us that we wouldn't be anything other than terrifically <laughs> successful people afterwards. We were very arrogant, and uh, I remember somebody at that time said, um, just as I was leaving Rada, they said, how was it? And I said, it was great. I taught them all I knew. I said, <laughs> this was at the age of 18, something. Who was uh, the first among that uh, glittering group to uh, make it big? Well, we all made it pretty big uh, as soon as we left theatre school. Um, it, our leaving theatre school coincided with a rather historic time in the British theatre because... John Osborne wrote a play called Look Back in Anger. Mm. And up until that time, uh, to be a leading actor in the theater in the West End of London, you had to be six foot tall and uh, very kind of aristocratic looking and have what they called an Oxford accent. And with the arrival of Osborne's play, uh, he celebrated the working man. Right. And for the first time in the British theater, the working man became uh, hero worthy you know you could write plays about him so Finney and O'Toole and Alan Bates and myself we were all working class lads 
all from the provinces. Uh, and so we all got a chance to get in on this new wave, you know. Uh, right. And it was a very, very exciting time. As a matter of fact, I think the first time I saw you on Broadway was in the Astrakhan coat, and you played a young gang leader who robs and kills for kicks. Yeah, a very sophisticated one. Yeah. <laughs> but before that, what brought me to the United States was a play by Peter Schaffer, the man who wrote Amadeus and Equus, called Five Finger Exercise. And as a matter of fact, I did that play for three years, which is pretty inconceivable now. Mm. But uh, and a, year, a year and a half of it was in London, and then to my great delight, we came to New York with it, and we did a year on Broadway, and then we did nine months on the road. So I got to see the whole country. It was a very thrilling time for me. I was 23 when I came to the States. 23 and yeah. a star on Broadway. Well, not a star. Uh, Jessica Tandy was the star. She played my mother. Uh-huh. And, uh, but it was, it was just a wonderful time and uh, extraordinary because when I first came to the States, I really felt as if I was coming home. And during that tour of Five Finger Exercise, when we were actually, I think, in, in Denver, I realized that this is where I would spend the rest of my life. And, and that's what I have done. Well, you have been here. Have you been here continuously ever yeah. since? Well, pretty well, in spite of my accent, uh, I have. <laughs> yes. And in Canada, too. I work a lot at Stratford, Ontario, in, in Canada, which is a Shakespeare festival near Toronto. You won uh, your, your Tony Award in Moliere, yeah. the School for Wives. Yes, I did. And yeah. how do you recall that... Uh, well, I've been thinking about that quite a lot recently because the theatre that we're doing Timon of Athens in is the Lyceum. And the last time I was in the Lyceum and in this particular dressing room was, was for School for Wives when I won the Tony. Mm-hmm. And so I have very many wonderful memories of that time. And uh, as I say, now we're back there and uh, hoping, of course, to have a success with, with this Shakespeare play. Uh, this Shakespeare play, Timon of Athens, I may be wrong, but I think, Brian, this is the first time it has ever been produced on Broadway. I don't recall that. I think you're probably right. Uh, I'm sure it's been done off, 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 off Broadway somewhere, you know. Uh, uh, Joe Papp did it a couple years ago down at the Public Theater, I did think. Did he? I think. I think. I could be wrong. Not, no? uh, not to my knowledge. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I think it's probably the first time. And this is a very exciting thing because... It means that, uh, you know, audiences, they literally don't know what's going to happen next. So they're seeing it the way Shakespeare's audiences saw it for the first time, you know, not knowing the plot. That's very rare for a Shakespeare play because everybody knows what happens in Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet, but they don't know what happens in Time and of Athens. Well, Brian, for those listeners who have not lately brushed up on their Shakespeare... Give us uh, as much as you can about Time and without spilling the beans. Well, um... Timon of Athens is the story of a very, very rich man, a man who's been rich all his life. And as middle age approaches him, he, um, he finds it uh, in fitting with his uh, principles that he lives a very, very Christian kind of life, giving money. He's a great, great benefactor. And he really believes uh, that he is fulfilling... Christian principles in his life. He, he actually does believe that it's better to give than to receive, right. and he loves his brother, his neighbor, as himself, etc., etc. And unfortunately, 
I might also add that the, the production of the play is set in Paris in the 20s. Okay. And this was a brilliant choice by Michael Langham, the director, because he uses the stock market crash to great effect. Because what happens to Timon is that the crash takes place and he's been so extravagant just giving money to all and sundry that he finds himself bankrupt. He appeals to his best friends who have been the recipient of a lot of his generosity and they all turn him down. And this drives him absolutely nuts. I think Shakespeare wrote a song about that called <laughs> Nobody Loves You When You're Down and Out. <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> That's true. And as a matter of fact, uh, I'm a great sort of scholar of Shakespeare and uh, in his sonnets and in other Shakespeare plays you find this theme of a man being betrayed by his friends and I'm sure this is something that happened to William Shakespeare himself. This is why Timon of Athens is such a bitter uh, and, and, and desperate sort of tragedy. I might say that a wealthy man who goes broke and then is shunned by his neighbors is not exactly out of date. <laughs> no, exactly. I think it's a marvelous play for New York at this particular time because, I mean, actually, you would think that the play was written a couple of weeks ago. The relevance of it is, is so poignant. And, and unlike uh, Macbeth and Lear, and, and I, you probably find this inconceivable, but it has a lot of humor too. It, 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 it's, it's extraordinary. What happens to the man um, is that eventually he becomes a misanthrope. He hates his fellow men and he goes and lives in the woods and of course they all come after him uh, because by some brilliant dramatic and ironic stroke he finds gold while digging for roots in the woods and then everybody comes flocking for him because he's they a pal play. again <laughs> yes. we'll be talking with Brian Bedford some more after this break Brian Bedford is now having his photo taken with a lovely blonde woman named Levada June Roberts, who will be on our program momentarily. And Dick Corkery of the Daily News is shooting away. Dick, you're only interrupting this program, but don't let me stop you. <laughs> yes, we are. That's okay. I love, I love photography. One more. Brian, you've played in... We're back on the Broadway Hour with Brian Bedford. Brian, you've played in scores of plays. Uh, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you on stage? Well, one funny thing that happened to me was actually in the Lyceum Theatre. And before I did School for Wives, uh, the APA Repertory Company, do you remember them? Phoenix, right. The Phoenix APA. Right. They uh, had a lease on the Lyceum Theatre, and I joined the APA for the last year of their existence. And we, we were doing production of a play by T.S. Eliot called The Cocktail Party, right. uh, which was rather a highfalutin play and did not have great box office appeal. And one particular evening, in the last act of The Cocktail Party, I think we had an audience of about maybe a couple of hundred people, which isn't very many in an 800-seat house. And during the last act, there's a very, very... Uh, highbrow discussion about religion going on and I'm sitting there trying to listen to this and a mouse <laughs> falls on my head from the top of the proscenium <laughs> this is absolutely true it's actually it's in one of those books about Broadway anecdotes uh, 
This mouse falls on me, then runs into the auditorium and scares away practically the rest of our very poor little audience. Uh, were there any ad-lib lines on stage? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that kind of a place, Stuart. It was, a, it was very, uh, very highbrow stuff. Brian, you mentioned before uh, working with Jessica Tandy. Yes. And you worked with a number of memorable people. Give me yeah. some brief memories of them. John Gilgood. Well, John Gilgood I saw about six weeks ago. Uh, he's 89 years of age, and uh, n- next April he'll be 90. And Ken Branner has very beautifully arranged for a radio production of King Lear to be done. Mm. Everybody in London is lining up to play, you know, four lines on this radio thing, homage to John Gielgud. And uh, I saw him, and John is in absolutely wonderful form, and his memory is completely intact. He'll, he'll talk about a play that happened in 1923, and, and he'll remember the <laughs> understudies, the cast, who did the set, who did the scenery, how long the play ran, all this kind of thing. He's absolutely in, in, in great shape, and just as funny as ever, and dropping brickbats just as much as he ever did. Give me a brickbat from Gilgood. Well, the very, very famous one was uh, with, about Richard Burton. Richard Burton had a small part in a play that John Gilder was, was directing. And soon after this play came to an end, Richard Burton had the magnificent opportunity of playing Hamlet at the Old Vic Theatre in London. Bearing in mind that John Gilgood felt that the part of Hamlet actually belonged to him, as he was the most successful Hamlet, you know, in this century, and also the old Vic Theatre. He felt that that was his domain, too. Right. Anyway, he went along to see uh, Richard Burton in Hamlet, went round to Richard Burton's dressing room because he had a date to go out to supper with him afterwards, found that Burton's dressing room was full of Welsh visitors, family, you know, all up for the night just to see Richard play Hamlet. John Gilgood was standing at the door and getting rather, rather tetchy because he was kept waiting and uh, hadn't mentioned Richard Burton's performance of Hamlet. And suddenly, in a little pause, John Gilgood said, uh, Richard, uh, I'm going to go over to the restaurant. Perhaps you'll join me when you're better. I mean, I mean ready. <laughs> and that was his comment on Richard Burton's I Hamlet. I love it. <laughs> Brian, I could go on talking to you forever, but our <laughs> clock is racing. So I want to thank you very, very much Bless for you, being thanks. on the Broadway Hour and remind everyone that Brian Bedford is playing the title role in Shakespeare's Timon of Athens at the Lyceum. Thanks a million. Thank you. Here's the Broadway update brought to you by Tatinger Champagne, the official champagne of the Broadway Hour. The Hal Prince production of Showboat, starring Robert Morris, Elaine Stritch, and Lonette McKee, opened in Toronto to wildly mixed reviews from a phalanx of New York critics. John Lahr in The New Yorker called the show superb and scintillating. Howard Kissel in The Daily News said wonderful and emotionally powerful. But Frank Rich in The Times, while calling the staging brilliant, said the acting was inadequate and that the show had no emotional punch. And Clive Barnes in The Post said overstaged and undercast, and he called the show soggy stickiness. In London, Patti LuPone, despite her scathing reviews, said she's staying with Sunset Boulevard and will open with the musical on Broadway. She was backed by the producers who, in a short statement, said, 
we have not changed our Broadway plans. The new musical Paper Moon is the first casualty of the Broadway season. After suffering tepid reviews and severe second act-itis on the road, the show's scheduled Broadway opening in December was canceled, and producer Roger Berlin said Paper Moon is postponed indefinitely. Good news on the road for another incoming Broadway musical, the revival of Damn Yankees, starring B.B. Newworth as Lola and Victor Garber as the devil Applegate, opened in San Diego, and Variety called it, quote, one terrific production, a theatrical grand slam. Two new productions bow this week at the Manhattan Theater Club. At the club stage one, The Loman Family Picnic by Donald Margolis, a comic drama about a Brooklyn family in the 60s coping with their son's bar mitzvah and other tourists. Christine Baranski stars. And at the Manhattan Club main stage, John Patrick Shanley's comedy, Four Dogs and a Bone, starring Tony Roberts as a movie producer going broke. Two other off-Broadway openings, the musical Johnny Pie and the Fool Killer, based on the short story by Stephen Vincent Benet at the Lambs Theater. Spiro Malice, a Tony nominee in the title role of The Most Happy Fella, heads the cast. Sophie Hayden, who is Spiro's love interest in Most Happy Fella, stars in a revival of the Alan Akeburn farce, How the Other Half Lives, produced by the York Theatre Company. Some other attractions. Tommy Toon is in concert tomorrow night at the Stanford Center for the Arts. Bill Cosby does stand-up at the Westbury Music Fair Saturday. The Big Apple Circus is back at Lincoln Center. Leslie Uggams opens tomorrow at Rainbow and Stars, and Leslie will be here on the Broadway Hour next week. And if you're free Wednesday afternoon at 1.30, you can watch Sigourney Weaver and Lucy Arnaz read a new play at the New Dramatist Club on West 44th Street. Call for reservations. Finally, for truly astounding theater, just walk around Greenwich Village Saturday night, Halloween Eve. Still to come on the Broadway Hour, jazz great Duck Cheatham, off-Broadway's Levada June Roberts, a singles party, and our trivia contest with some splendid prizes after this break. It's trivia time, and the winner of this week's contest will win two tickets to the new Broadway musical, A Grand Night for Singing, the Rodgers and Hammerstein Review, plus dinner for two at Bistro 790 here at the Sheraton. Here's the question. In 1954, a number from the Broadway musical Pajama Game became the top pop song in America, aided by a recording of it by one of America's great singers. What was the song and who recorded it? If you want to take a shot at the free theater tickets and dinner, get your answers in early. We'll announce the winner on next week's program. Last week's question was, in the movie Funny Girl, Barbara Streisand sang a sensational number, I'd Rather Be Blue, a song that was cut from the original Broadway production. Why was the song cut? And we stumped all of you with this question. The answer? You remember that Streisand sang that number in the movie on roller skates. Well, when the original stage production went into rehearsal, the insurance company for the Broadway show took one look at Streisand on skates and said, uh-uh, she does that number skating, we don't insure the show. 
So the number was cut. And here, ladies and gentlemen, from the movie Funny Girl, Barbara Streisand and I'd Rather Be Blue. I'd rather be blue Thinking of you I'd rather be blue Over you Than be happy With somebody else I'm crazy about ya Without ya For you I'm strong I can't do without ya don't stay too long I need a little bomb, little ooh, little oh And I'm knocking on wood Honey, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up It's so hard to be good I'd rather be blue Thinking of you I'd rather be Funny girl, Barbara Streisand, and I'd rather be blue. They just dimmed the lights in the lobby here at the Sheraton, which is apropos, because our next guest is involved in a romantic scheme that involves a singles get-together at a theater. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Julia Levy. Julia, welcome to the Broadway Hour. Thank you for having me. Tell me about this romantic get-together. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful program. We started about two years ago, the Doer Single Series. It's at the Roundabout Theater Company, and it's particularly romantic now with the Rodgers and Hammersteins, a grand night for singing. And uh, we have about 3,500 singles now who come and see our performances and then attend a party afterward at the theater right after seeing the performance. And it's been a wonderful way for young New York singles to meet one another and to see theater and, and have a wonderful evening. This has been going on for three years? We've scene? been doing it uh, for just two years now, since we moved into our new home on Broadway and 45th. 
Have you produced any uh, liaisons, any marriages? Absolutely, we're very happy. We actually have one marriage to our credit. They met in February 92 <laughs> at our production of The Visit, and they just got married in July. It's uh, Mary and Bob Herbert. So we're very, very happy. We have one success and hopefully many, many more. If we have any uh, romantically inclined singles, theatrical people out there, how did they get involved in this? Well, it all started with a, an ad in a personal column asking for a single people if they enjoyed an evening of theater. And that started two years ago and through all kinds of promotions, um, running personal ads and advertisements in various publications, they've responded. We've done specific mailings and if they're interested, they can come to the Roundabout Theater or call us. And uh, that's all they have to do, just call just and... Just give us a call. If I can, can I say the number? Shoot. 719-9393 and call our subscription department and ask about this Doer single series. When is the next singles get-together at the roundabout? Uh, I believe it's next Tuesday, the, 20 or the 28th of October is the next, and we have about five more. And I assume the tickets are available. Tickets are available. Now, what are these tickets you have in your hand? What is these that? are, we'd love to give away a pair of tickets to, I believe it's the October 26th, which is our next single series event, um, which we'd love to give away right now. All right. Is there anybody in the audience who would like to have two tickets to a uh, get-together with some savagely interested romantic people? Uh-oh, I see two people <laughs> waving their hands now. All right, we have some takers. And Julia, I want to wish you the best of luck with this uh, undertaking. And uh, let us know of any uh, more marriages result, will you? You bet. We absolutely will. Thanks very much. Julia Levy, everyone. I am absolutely delighted to introduce our next guest. In 1925, two young men named Rogers and Hart wrote a little review called The Garrick Gaieties, and the hit song of the show was a number called Manhattan. And in all the years since, no one has sung it better than our next guest. He's a jazz legend who at the age of 88 is still going strong, and I see him with his trumpet poised. Ladies and gentlemen, with check folds at the piano, here with Manhattan is Doc Cheatham. Bronx and Staten Island too. It's very lovely, you know, going to the zoo. Yes, it's mighty fancy on old Delancey Street. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know the subway charms us so while Bobby breezes blow to and fro. So tell me what street compares with Mott Street in July. And those sweet push cars gliding by. The city is a wondrous, wondrous toy just built for a girl and a boy. So we'll turn Manhattan into an island of joy. Of course, you know, we'll go to Greenwich where modern men, it's to be free. And Bowling Green, you know, you will see with me. And we'll bathe at Brighton, the fish you'll frighten when you are in your bathing suit so thin will make the shellfish grin fin to fin I'd like to sail on old Jamaica be with you and fair Carnassus lakes oh yes we'll view the city is a great big wonderful toy just built for a girl and a boy so we'll turn Manhattan into an island joy now we'll go to Yonkers where free love conquers in the wilds and we'll starve together in childs yes we'll go to Coney and eat bologna on a roll in Central Park we stroll where our first kiss we stole soul to soul and black and blue was a terrific show they say and I'll hope to see it oh yes someday oh yes the city's bustle can never destroy the dreams of a girl and a boy will turn Manhattan into an Idaho. Yes, we'll have Manhattan, the Bronx, and Staten Island too. We'll try to cross over Fifth Avenue. As black as Onyx, we'll take the Bronx Park Express. Our Flatbush flat. I guess will be a great success, more or less. A short vacation on Inspiration Point we will spend. And into the jailhouse, oh yes, we'll spend. The city's glamour will never spoil the dreams of a boy and a girl. <laughs> so we'll turn Manhattan into an island.
All right. That is class. Doc Cheetah with Chuck Folds at the piano. I love it. Doc and Chuck will be back to perform again later in the program. That is solid gold. There's a new off-Broadway musical downtown with the intriguing title, Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, and Me. And here is the author and star of the show, Leveda June Roberts. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Leveda June. That sounds uh-huh. like a name from Dixie. <laughs> Oklahoma. It's an Oklahoma name. Okay. Tell me about yourself and about the show. Well, I'm uh, from Atoka, Oklahoma originally, and I came to New York in order to uh, do some theater and uh, write and sing. And originally I was doing uh, songwriting, and now I've turned it into script. So. Uh, Before we get to the play, I know you have a, a new record out, a new album on the ATV Pie label, mm-hmm. and uh, you got a lovely review from Cashbox, which called your style aggressively eclectic. You better explain that. (laughs) Well, let me think. I'm not sure what that means myself. Maybe (laughs) it's just that I just go for it. You know, I I sing and write what's in my heart and what really motivates me and moves me. And sometimes maybe that's over the line, but I really try to do what I feel. Now, tell me about this show that you Uh wrote and star in with the interesting title, Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable and Me. What's it about? Well, it's about a um, little girl who uh, basically, <laughs> her, her fantasy, her mother and her father, her fantasy is Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, and me. Actually, she's an abused child. Uh-huh. And um, although it's not that tragic in the sense that she sees the joy in having, she has these little paper dolls that she plays with. And those little paper dolls are Marilyn Monroe doll and a Clark Gable doll. And she thinks those are her real parents. So she sings to them and she plays with them. And that's her refuge when things get too difficult, when life is too overwhelming for her. Uh-huh. She goes and she gets her little paper dolls. This show has a big cast, Levita Jane? Yeah, it has about uh, 14, ah, 14 actors. Uh-huh. That's unusual uh-huh. for off Broadway. Uh-huh. And yeah. I assume you play... I play, yes, I do. There's three uh, Chaninas, actually. There's three what? Three, three of the girls uh-huh. at different times in her life. I see. You know, when she's eight, when she's 20, and then when she's, <clears throat> we won't say, but uh, when she's older, <laughs> when she's in her 30s. So, um, you know, you show different times of her life and the growth and how the patterns of her life have followed her all of her life. Levada June, you're uh-huh. going to give us a sample of Sure, a song? I'd love to. Okay, we'll have Levada June singing and playing at the piano right after this break. We're back. This is the Broadway Hour. I'm Stuart Klein. We're on AM 93 WPAT, and at the piano right now is Levada June Roberts, the star and the author of the new off-Broadway musical Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, and Me. Levada June, you got a number for us? I do. Um, I'm going to sing a song that Mama sings to Daddy. For 43 years I've been washing these same old dishes every day. For 43 years I've been sitting up and rubbing his feet. For more years than I care to say, I've been living my life day to day. Day Day to day. Day to day, day to day, for more years than I care to say, I've been living my life day 
scrimping and a saving just to make ends meet. I'm a walking on eggshells just to stay out of these feet. For more years than I care to say, I've been living my life day to day to day. A day to day. Every day. Patsy Klein in there at Levada June. <laughs> Thank you very much, and I want to wish you the best of Thank luck you. with Thank your you. new album and your new show. Thank you. And a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, the show is called Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable and Me, written by and starring Levada June Roberts. We'll have more with Doc Cheatham after this break. We're back on the Broadway Hour on AM 93 WPAT. And I'm taking this microphone and stretching the cord underneath the chair and walking across the pavilion to talk to Doc Cheatham and our producer, Kate McGrath, is trying to untie the cord and has yet to succeed. I'll go over and use Doc's mic. Hold on. Here's a mic that works. Hiya, Doctor. Hi, lovely, lovely. Doc, it's so great to have you on the show with Chuck. Uh, Doc, you're 88 years young. You are a virtual living history of jazz. And I'm going to ask you the impossible question to give us a musical autobiography of yourself in a couple of minutes. Oh, that's going to take a long time. Where'd you, where are you from, Doc? Oh, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, June 13, 1905. When did you first start playing trumpet for money? In 1926, but I wasn't being paid. I was just getting a little draw every now and then. And I think you made your way uh, up from the south up to Chicago, no? That's right. That's where I decided to, to, to make uh, jazz my career. And you played with the formative people of jazz. Who was your first big band? Well, my first big band was, uh, I mean, the, the best band was... Uh, uh, Cab Calloway. Of course, I went to Europe with Sam Wooding, but I think Cab Calloway was just about the biggest man, the greatest band I've ever played with. But we left out some people. You started, I think, with King Oliver, no? Well, I played with Louis Armstrong and uh, King Oliver, not too much with King Oliver because I didn't, uh, I was uh, too afraid, I was too nervous in that band. I, didn't, I needed to gain some confidence in my playing to play with King Oliver. But I did play with Louis Armstrong, especially in New York City, at the State Theater. And when he came here, and, I, and also in Chicago, Freddie Keppen, all those great trumpet players from, from Louisiana, I listened to and joined in, played with a lot of them, and And Doc, I think you played tr trumpet on, in uh, support on many records with some of the great performers of our time. Oh yes, I started with Ma Rainey, that was the first one. And uh, Billy Holiday, and uh, gosh, I can't remember all these these great singers. I played with so many of them. I think you also backed up Bessie Smith too. Yes, I did at the Bijou Theater in Nashville, Tennessee. 
That was a great, great experience for me. Doc Cheatham has just been recorded by Columbia Records on its legendary Pioneers of Jazz series. He performs with Chuck Folds Sunday afternoon at Sweet Basil's uh, Jazz Brunch. And let me get a word in edgewise with Chuck. You got some other gigs going too, no? Yes, Stuart. I'm playing solo piano Monday through Friday, noon to 3 at the Park Avenue Plaza currently. And I work every Thursday night, including tonight, down at the Cajun with the uh, Thursday night band Stitch and Styles' Metropolitan Stompers. And I have a solo CD coming out on Arbor's Records in about a month. Great. And Chuck, I see you're all dressed up for your gig <laughs> tonight. Unlike a, a certain host, he is wearing black tie. And here's a taste from uh, Doc's new CD on the jazz, legendary pioneers of jazz series. Doc, what are you going to do? Okay, baby. Okay, you're on. <laughs> Hey baby, sweet as can be. Hey baby, wait till you see the wedding ring I picked for you. Fifty-two more payments and it's yours, dear. Someday, baby, we'll run away. I don't mean maybe, just for a day. Even if your mother wished to live with us three, why it's okay, baby with me.
fine and dandy. Precisely. Chuck Foles at the piano and the great Doc Cheatham on trumpet. And I'd like to remind you that the young man blowing that tool is just 88 years old. Doc Cheatham and Chuck Foles, I love you. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Broadway Hour. Thanks to our guests, Chuck Folds and Doc Cheatham, Brian Bedford, and LaVeda June Roberts. The Broadway Hour is here on AM 93 WPAT every Monday night from 6 to 7. I'd like to thank the sponsors of the Broadway Hour, Chemical Bank, the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers, and Champagne Tatinger, the official champagne of the Broadway Hour. Thanks to our executive producer, Kate McGrath, and our engineer, Chris Rietfeld, and special thanks to all the folks at AM93 WPAT. Tune in next week when our guests will include Leslie Uggams, Bobby Short, and drama critic Clive Barnes. This is Stuart Klein for the Broadway Hour. Good night and break a leg. <laughs>